Welcome back to the basement, everyone. Uh, boys and girls, you are now turned into a unfortunately somber edition of Chunky uh, Glasses, the podcast. You know, we took a we took a little break. Uh, a lot of things happened. Um, the Beatles went on streaming. Lemmy died, which was uh, a major bummer. Um, LCD sound system got back together. Uh, some of these things we're talking about today. Um, and then and then on Sunday night, uh, David Bowie mm, skipped off into the universe. Uh, David Bowie, whose album we are reviewing on this very podcast, it is, uh, you know, we we obviously didn't plan this uh, this way. And, and a lot of the things you'll hear us talk about our mortality, our... Um, making art at his age uh how how his album his excellent his his just mind-bendingly amazing album black star is is a gift to us all now it's a bigger gift um you know his producer said uh tony visconti that you know bowie meant it to go this way this was a parting gift to fans it was a uh Final statement on a career that uh, permeated pop culture. It was music, fashion, um, high thought, uh, rational and fair treatment of of people, openness. Um, you know, it's sad, and what what we are left with, thankfully, is fifty years of of music that is. Some of the best music that not only has ever been recorded, but will ever be recorded. That is, that is indisputable. Um, and, uh, but more sad in, in, in that is that, you know, David Bowie was not the black star. The black star consumed him. I think, uh, you know, a black star is a black hole. It will suck you back into the nothingness from which, when all of us came, uh, he was the white star. He was the shining light that said to everybody whether or not you were uh, an awkward teen, uh, felt alone, uh, high society uh, <laughs> proprietor and enjoyer of fashion, you know, uh, that, that not just it was okay, that everything uh, was okay. Uh, anything that you wanted to be, you can be. Anything that you wanted to do, you can do. And um, there's not enough of pe- there's not enough people like that in the world left, and uh, and it sucks. Uh, so before we get to this uh, podcast, um, where we're going to be talking about Black Star, uh, we're going to be talking about LCD sound system getting back together. We're going to be talking about uh, David Lowry suing Spotify things which are. Today, at least, seem very inconsequential. Um, take a minute uh, and enjoy the man for, for what he was most well known for his music, and uh, and turn up this song, and then we're gonna go into uh, into the podcast. So, David Robert Jones, uh, rest in peace. On with the show. Brother, you cast. How about you? All 
mean he can kick like a mule It's a real mean team You can love Welcome back to the basement, Patrick, Eduardo, uh, Kevin. Paul's a little sissy and couldn't couldn't make it here. <laughs> hateful eight, <laughs> hateful eight, man, hateful eight. Um, Missing the hateful three down here. It, it was a good break. It's so good, in fact, that I wasn't sure if, if I was going to come back. I was like, <laughs> I'm back in the gear today, and I was just like, shit, man. Like, I don't even know how to run any of this stuff anymore. <laughs> um, but but we are back. Uh, a lot of stuff happened. Um, we are going to be talking about one big thing that happened that, honestly, I don't think any of us expected. I mean, we knew it was coming, but didn't expect this. Um, but over break, uh, two two little news items happened. Uh, which one do you guys want to get into first? I think so that we don't bore people out of the gate, maybe we start with the uh, <laughs> non-legal Non-legal thing? Item. All right. You want to build up to the boring stuff. <laughs> I want to build up to the complicated <laughs> copyright discussion. Um, okay. LCD sound system is back, motherfuckers. Yeah. After much trolling by Consequence of Sound, Wait. and and it, it yeah, <laughs> it it was trolling, which I want to talk about in a second. Um, it was finally confirmed. Not only are they playing Coachella, uh, but they are making a new album. They're going out on a new tour. This not five years after they called it quits. It was a big thing. I was at that show. Uh, it was a great fucking show, um, and. Were you at the last, last show? Yes. Okay. Of the five? I was at Madison Square Garden. Wow. Yeah. Almost went to the one-on-ones at Terminal 5. Because that was, what, a five or ten night run or something ridiculous? Like yeah, that? it started, yeah. That's, and, and this is what I want to talk about. 
is there's a lot of people who are like giving him grief and saying it's cynical. Uh, it is. I'll just say that <laughs> in my belief. Um, and saying like, oh, man, but you said you were done and you did all this stuff and now you're back. And, and you know, there are both sides to that argument. You know, Guns N' Roses is coming back for a lot of money. And arguably, LCD Sound System did it for this uh, for a lot of money. But in this case, um, it's it's egregious because, at least in my mind, because he made such a deal about it. We know in 2016, we knew in 2011 that reunions were big money. The Eagles saw to it to that. Not only would they get paid, but ticket prices, like, for this was like 400 bucks. <clears throat> right. Well, and certainly after the, uh, I think the Pixies sort of gave everyone the green right, light to come right. back. And, and that was and, terrible, and, by the way. Right, and still, be, and still be, you know, not necessarily... Uh, lose your your standing but definitely hurt your overall perception well the pixies thing was was and it's always my thing with bands coming back is and they come back and they don't have new music right and, and the pixies swore they would for like 10 years yeah easily <laughs> it had to have been yeah. it was like wait no new music no new music no new music um so so they've been through like three kims since they got back together <laughs> yeah yeah just, <laughs> <laughs> uh so james murphy has that in his corner i mean they are working on a new album that that is exciting um, to the to the people who are screaming, uh, well, this cheapens the last show. That's like saying a remake like destroys your memory of a movie. I mean, it just it it doesn't. Um, you know, nothing can like diminish that. Uh, but what it does, uh, I think, for any band who does this, and see if you guys agree, is destroy a lot of goodwill that a band builds up. Bands succeed in large part because of their connection to the fans. I don't. I don't. I can't name. I, well, and they, they might be one band that is is this, but there are very few bands that just produce a piece of art that is so pure and so undeniably like entertaining that you you just don't care. Like people get into the the whole thing of the band, the whole lore of the band, and and that goodwill, and you want to feel connection to to the band as a fan, and hopefully the the band is going to foster that. Um, there's no way in 2011 that James Murphy did not know that eventually he was going to do this and know what it meant. He's a smart guy. There's And there's a sense of regret over that whole movie. Um, and he even gave interviews at the time basically saying, I shouldn't right. have boxed myself into this, you right. know, because I, now I don't have the option of bringing LCD right. sound system back without pissing a bunch of people off or without seeming cynical. So he clearly, you know, even if he didn't, even if he didn't know how to say we're going to take a break and we don't know when we might ever mm-hmm. play or release music again, he clearly lost control of whatever that narrative was and, and wanted to have this big event. Um, and it's something that like watching that, you know, the, the, the version of like New York, I love you from mm-hmm. that. I mean, that's like, it's hard not to get chills seeing that. Like Absolutely. there's just such an intense connection between the artist and the audience. But, but I guess, I guess what, I wonder is did he lose control of the narrative or was he or, actually driving it and structuring the narrative? I mean, Patrick, what do you what do you think? I can't speak to James Murphy's motives. Cool. Uh, <laughs> as much as I might like, I think I don't want to sidetrack, but I think part of what I'm debating is is it on the fan who maintains the naivete to think a band announcing this is our final show, we'll never get back together, and that it actually is final in this day and age where every almost every band mm-hmm. does a reunion? Or is it on the band who 
lived and died by, uh, I'm not using these terms pejoratively, hipster street cred, yeah. uh, to present something that was the final hurrah yeah. uh, and not stick to it. Um, I don't know the answer to that. Like, I think it's, I think we might be at it's the somewhere moment. somewhere in between. I think. I think we might be at the moment where we can no longer take a final concert seriously anymore. <laughs> is, that, mean, is that what it is? I mean, even the Grateful <laughs> Dead were like, this is our final concert at Wrigley Field. And then didn't they play yeah, somewhere actually, else? Actually, like, but you, you mentioned two nights ago. You mentioned back John in the 70s. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. So, so in 74, they played this, this series of shows, I think at Winterland, that at the time were billed as like the last concerts the Grateful Dead would mm. play. And I went back and I dug up some old interviews as we were all emailing about this. And, and what they said at the time is like, we don't know if we're going to tour again. It's too exhausting. We have this gigantic wall of sound rig. That's a nightmare. Right. We have to keep 300 people employed. Um, so, uh, so we're just going to be a studio act and we may never tour again. But I think they were candid about the fact that A, they weren't breaking up and that B, they weren't saying... Yeah. We're never going to tour again. They right. were just saying, we're exhausted. We can't do right. it right now. And two years later, they were back on the road. So, I, I think to go to your point, Kevin, James, and I think that all of that plays into this, but I think your, to your point, the James Murphy missive that he put online a day or two ago, yeah. he basically said, look, I wrote these songs and I was like, I could go play them with myself right. and some pickup musicians, or I could bring in the people I'm most comfortable playing with. Mm -hmm. And that argument, if he's being honest, yeah. I'm like, well... Okay, I get that. Well, yeah, but maybe uh, maybe call it something different. I don't know. Well, I don't even know if you have to. I th I think it's just it, it gets to the point of like you said, reunion. We we can't take breakups seriously anymore, and so like don't make a as big a deal about yeah. it. Or, or do, maybe. He made a fuck ton of money doing that. Yeah. My high school girlfriend and I are getting back together in a couple weeks, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, the two final shows that I've, quote unquote, final shows that I went to turned out not to be final shows at all. So one, yeah. was, one was the Abysmal Fish Show in Coventry in 2004, <laughs> which was just a shit show of like epic proportions. You know, I was yeah. invited to that and turned it down. We you're, could have met such a smart man. so you're, many years ago. Such a, we would have been covered in mud and yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, and the other one was the Dismemberment Plan yeah. uh, show, oh. like 2003. I think Beauty Pill actually opened that show. Yeah. And uh, of course, that was not their final show either, by a long shot. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, un until someone dies, basically, and or like, yep. or like, if two people, are, like Sonic Youth, is probably never going to get back together, right? That was an acrimonious divorce. I don't know that. Who knows now? I don't know that. Uh, I should, I should I say mean, the original a lineup. I, I'm right? sure Mark, remarried, Mark man. AEG. I'm sure has a lot of money on yeah. the table being like, Hey, you know, if you just come out and headline Coachella in 2017 and you know what, we're going to be like consequences. Sound. A good source. Yeah. <laughs> a we source, have I, I, a good source, source indicates Sonic youth in 2017. Coachella. Kim, Kim Gordon spotted Kim in, Gordon spotted in, uh, um, Indio. Um, yeah. Um, the hologram of Biggie and the hologram of Tupac in 2019. Yes. <laughs> um, and I want to get to the, the, the boring part of this <laughs> uh, real quick. Uh, but the last thing about this is that um, if – you know, I, I, I lost my point. <laughs> uh, brand new year, brand new podcast. Um, Should they at least be OLED sound system since that's the new <laughs> standard and <laughs> – no, no. Or can we start a cover band? No, but in, but, but in respect, <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> in in respects to his like over explaining missive and stuff, yeah. I, I have this and 
here's the zinger. Like he needs to just shut up and play the hits. Yeah. So how about that? <laughs> All right. There right. you go. Right. So uh, that happened. Uh, there'll be more news. There'll be uh, tickets right. available for hundreds of dollars can, everywhere. Can I add that my initial reaction is someone who would have liked to have gone to Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. shows, who likes the band quite a bit, never saw them live, was like, I'm going. Yeah. 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 I mean, here. if you are really a fan, aren't you excited about a new album and more touring? I mean- more of something you like not, is I good. I was not excited about uh, a new tour unless... Without new music. New music. Makes sense. Um, I'm also quite excited about the GNR reunion. <laughs> <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> no, is he new GNR? That's another podcast missing, where, as we no, firm this lineup okay. up. Uh, the other <laughs> big thing that happened is uh, David Lowry popped up out of his uh, curmudgeon hole down in, in, in the University of Georgia Suing Spotify for $150 million. Now, I am not going to, uh, even though we do have a lawyer here uh, who might be able to explain it, uh, Casey Ray is going to be here in a few weeks. He will be able to explain it much better. In fact, there's going to be a link in the show notes that I recommend you read right now to his response to this that they actually, I think, posted two years ago. Mm. So he's like a time traveler or some shit. (laughs) 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 But... uh, the case comes down to it. copyright law. We know is just a mess. Like it, it's all over the place. There's so many compulsory licenses. Um, there is you. You have to get a copyright on recording the composition. Like getting people paid actually was the thrust of this last year's uh, Future Music Coalition uh, and all this different technology they're trying to do that. And that's sort of at the heart of this this case. But the, the main allegation deals with the mechanical licenses. So mm-hmm. how this works is they have to negotiate all the other licenses. And that mechanical one, people aren't sure about it. But there's a code, a section of the law, um, that basically says uh, that if you um, send a letter of intention to this, this Harry Fox agency, which is the person who manages a lot of this stuff, uh, 30 days... Just just because lawyers are dicks, I think it's a notice of intent. Notice of intent. Okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and uh, you send, send it to this, and if you don't hear... If they can't find it and track it down in 30 days, then you're good to go. But... The monies you have, uh, you're going to be collecting out that have to go in escrow. So eventually, you are going to pay the person, and because they can't be found right now, you are not prevented from therefore like use, utilizing the source, the product. Because you've presumably made some good faith effort or right. whatever. Right. That, that that's right. that's the gist of it. Without getting too complicated. So what his lawsuit alleges is that in fact, um, a that they did not do that. Uh, and, and B, that even if they did, that's not okay. And so that basically they're streaming all of this music without the mechanical licenses. Um, and to explain a mechanical license really quick also, um, <laughs> it's, it's, you can't do anything. It's really quick. Um, back in the days when you ha- used to have to reproduce something, that's it. It's a mechanical thing. So right. it's a copy. So this gets into the whole argument of, is a stream a copy? Is the version of an album that I download through Spotify because I'm a paid subscriber that's, on my phone. Right. And that's that and that's, that's a tricky, tricky it's weird. It's a issue. really tricky question. Although although you don't really I mean there are controls in place. Like you can only have that on your phone for thirty days at a time. I don't know if you if you've ever I didn't know that. that. Yeah. So if you download a playlist from Spotify uh, and I'm you a log in, subscriber, man. Yeah, no 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 so am I. So am I. Um but if but if you if you have it if you have it set to save offline 
Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it has to update. Yes. Yeah, every, every 30 days, it has to go check back in and make sure that your status is still current as a subscriber. So the idea would be that you can't. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. F- you can't have it in perpetuity without continuing to pay your dues. Right. 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 Which I, I assume guess. is how Apple Music works, too. If yeah. you, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I still eat a bottle of bourbon, by the way. <laughs> get, um, in, get in line. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so my initial thought about all of this is, I mean, David Lowry, I think his heart is in the right place, always has been. He just has a really fucked up way of going about it and really self-serving. You know, and let's ignore the jokes. They're like, yeah, well, you got rich off one song. Listen to, like Nobody's listening to Cracker. Why are you complaining? That's not mm-hmm. the point of his arguments. He's actually trying to speak for everybody. Um, but there are so many people. In fact, I think uh, Spotify is fighting a suit right now from the uh, Music Publishers Association. I think that's who it is. The exact same suit. And Spotify has sort of been, at least lately, been more transparent with it. Like, what good do you think this is going to – is this just like saber rattling or or is this actually going to get somewhere? Or is it going to take down Spotify? I feel bad for Spotify's like public uh, policy person who they Uh trot out all the time to basically say, we would love to sit down with Joanna Newsom, David Lowry, whoever else, and explain how we love to pay artists, et cetera, et cetera. Spotify is not a banana. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm worried it might, it might have merit, but I'm (laughs) deferring to the lawyer in the room on that. So so what, (sighs) let's say, let's say, and, and this is, it's weird because we're saying like worst case scenario, but Worst case scenario, it results in all the artists getting paid. So that's actually not bad. Right. But let's go down the rabbit hole all the way. Mm. These types of suits, like going at people not working together. Can we agree that right now streaming is the medium for music? You don't care if you like it or not. It's the medium. Right. And it's I not can like, agree with that. Yeah. And David Lowry doesn't have a good track record of being right about where right. music is going. So all of a sudden, we have this thing that we have... We, has taken leaps and bounds and leaps and bounds in exposing people much like Napster did much like all these and and now it's going to hit another wall and we're not going to be able to have it maybe I mean I will say some things now I will preface them by saying I am an environmental attorney I work for the government I do not represent any party in this suit this is not legal advice or anything that anyone should rely on ever for purposes of legal analysis you do represent my cat though right? yeah I will represent your cat uh, so I think the big question is going to be and uh, based on my limited understanding of well let's actually start with a broader notion and you just said Napster a minute mm-hmm. ago um, copyright law will probably never catch up to technology it just won't there will always be a five to 15 year gap between mm-hmm. those two things. And so there will always be different ways that copyright law is struggling to catch up with technology. Courts and judges will never fully understand the cutting edge of technology in any right. lawsuit related to copyright law. And interested parties will never let it go the way it just should. Exactly. So part of this is a kind of a game about how this is going to play out. But I, I must say that the, the things that are important is I think all of us in this room want artists to get paid absolutely as much as they can. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think the question is going to become, because there's sort of an open question, as you pointed out about this ephemeral mechanical license for a stream or when I download something on my phone in Spotify, if that question is open enough to be revisited by an appellate court as a result of this case on a motion to dismiss, mm-hmm. 
that could be something that could result in a lot of money being redistributed from record companies and Spotify into the hands of artists, maybe. Except a lot of times artists don't actually own the rights. Right. And, that, and then it becomes a publishing company and that's a different <clears throat> thing, which is a whole other right. ball of wax. But if that question is going to be visited or revisited or opened up, then this suit could be a big deal. If it's not, if this district court judge says, you know what, I'm following what's been said on this. Mm. It's a closed question. I'm not going to deal with this based on some, and I don't know all this, but there's some dicta out there that I think tries to close it. I think that a dicta meaning for you at home, meaning uh, language in an opinion by a judge that is not necessary to the holding of a case. Sure. It's just sort of their opinion on the side. So if, if the court goes that way and the suit goes away, then there could just be another suit like this in five years in another jurisdiction right. that maybe something comes out of it. But for right now, unless and until that question is getting revisited, there's not that much to that'll make waves here. And the other thing I would point out in terms of litigation analysis is if this survives a motion to to dismiss in any form, and there's going to be mass broad discovery of Spotify's shit. Yeah. Spotify, I would bet will try. I I don't work for Spotify. I like Spotify. I would bet they will try to settle this case and make it go away before the discovery. I guess that's my point. They're already trying to, I'm sure. They're putting tools into place like and being very transparent and have been honestly for the better part of a year. You know, there there are problems with this. I mean, for sure. And I, there are problems with this. That said, there are a lot of very smart people working for Spotify mm-hmm. who have thought long and hard about the ramifications of how they're paying things through contracts and how they're paying licenses and how they're yeah. doing this. So part of me finds it hard to believe that they haven't thought their way through this. Yeah. So I'll yeah. stop talking. With, with, with the uh, the notice of intent law, I mean, it's very easy to imagine them being like, this is a, not a loophole per se, but it's like, this is something we're going to have to do. Um, I think they did it through a third party. I don't think the it is Spotify there. itself would have to file the notice of intent. No, they, 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 I think they have to directly like notify. I mean, all these services have to negotiate all these rights. And the mechanicals are the ones that are compulsory. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that question, yeah. so yeah. I'm going to not. So do we think that Apple Music did this differently from Spotify? And wouldn't the... Well, that's, wouldn't, that's the other question. Ad, right. So doesn't an adverse uh, outcome for Spotify really just kind of... Are you trying to get hired to represent Apple in an intervener <laughs> uh, motion here? Uh, yeah, call me. Uh, <laughs> I'm available for your next uh, <laughs> Worldwide Developers Conference. Um no, but but I just I mean I mean it seems it seems to me that that part of the the anger that some artists feel um, then they direct at Spotify is that I think the way Spotify came into existence is that they negotiated with the record labels more so than the artists and that's and that's really what like it's not right it's in a sense it's really a continuation of the label system it absolutely which, is which had which there were a few positives uh, to the label system. There were a lot of really bad things and a lot of ways in which artists got screwed. And so, um, you know, you know, Spotify doesn't seem like the right, the right target mm-hmm. uh, as a whole. And I, I say this not just because I'm a subscriber, but just because clearly this is, this is what consumers want. Um, and I just did a search on Apple Music and all of Cracker's music is on there. Um, mm-hmm. And most of it is not on Spotify currently. So I don't... So Possibly he has, you know, possibly there was some other arrangement 
uh, without right. Music it's a crazy, and, you know. And, and then what does this what does this say for services like uh, Bandcamp, which is right. certainly on demand streaming, not as on demand. Mm-hmm. It's very specific, but then you know they also have to like take care of these licenses unless they're acting as the label themselves, which I, I think I don't know if they do anymore, but I think they actually used to. Right. Yeah, I was on Bandcamp. I've been because I can't use Spotify at work. I was on Bandcamp the other day, and I was thinking sort of long and hard about this. If Joe Blow uploads some re-recorded version, like a secondary recording, mm-hmm. like he just literally takes his computer and records his stereo playing a song by Led Zeppelin. It happens. Can he upload it to Bandcamp? And can Bandcamp, are they required to do anything about that? Um, It happens. and, and It I, definitely happens. I, I, I think it's, it's very, and I, I don't know the specific... Um, legal avenue that has to happen for this but i think it's very much like um youtube so they get a takedown notice they say no you can't do this i mean all these sites you know where you can upload your own stuff soundcloud uh have algorithms sorry soundcloud that's what I yeah yeah. algorithms that can search through it and you know uh it has prevented me from uploading my Hollow Notes jams to soundcloud (laughs) for someday (laughs) on 10 years now um yeah, but yeah, it's it, you know that's a whole other thing. Like, what responsibility do they have? And to be clear, like Spotify, Apple Music, title, <laughs> like um, they're very much more on demand than say a Bandcamp. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's obviously no easy answer to this. I, th- I think that's the, I think the key argument is that um, you know Apple, Spotify, these are not just um, you know, these these are services that mm-hmm. are bigger and more profitable by and large than Bandcamp and, and SoundCloud. And it's not because Bandcamp and SoundCloud are bad products or, um, you know, they're just very different things. So, you know, Spotify gives you uh, kind of a, a closed little environment in mm-hmm. which to play and it, 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 it makes it easy for you to connect with other people. Apple Music tries to to do the same and increasingly it's tied to the devices that a lot of us have in our pockets anyway. So it's not just uh, it's not just a file hosting service that they're providing. It's really right. it's really it's really like completely tied to how people experience music today. Right. I think, and and I think that's part of his rage too. Is that you know the 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 days of like, and I, I'm sure we can all relate to this of like eyeing a record at the record store for like a couple of weeks mm-hmm. at a time and save and deciding is this worth the you know twelve ninety nine and the CD maxi pack that they used to make with the rock the vote thing, <laughs> right? Like, but you yeah. thought long and hard about these purchases and then you yeah. waited like three weeks to buy something and then you couldn't listen to it in your car because cars didn't have CD players at the time. So you got home and it was this important, incredible, sacred moment of like putting the th- like that's just not that's just that just doesn't happen with music anymore. For the most part, and I think I think you, um, it, it does it it. You're right. For the most part, it doesn't. Right. It it very much can. It can. Yeah. It, it very much can. Um, that's something that uh, me and Nick from Silver. Yeah, I think I just spit off. We're, of that we're, a little yeah, bit. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think he just yeah. he, copyright. He, it's yeah. copyright. My bad. My bad. Mechanical reproduction. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it, but it doesn't happen often. Nick and, from Silver is going to sue your ass. <laughs> Fuck. But I have it, it's 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 a fear. That it's a fear for people who care about art that, like, you know, as these delivery systems become more efficient and you can have everything and you're less discerning, that eventually it's just going to all sound the same. It's going to be one sine wave and just be like, yeah, boop. Yeah. Right. Well, let me throw one last thing in, and yeah. that is it used to be that everyone got mad at the record company 
when the you know the label the distributor it was sort of a Marxian um, railing against the middleman. There's not really a middleman anymore. There doesn't have to be. Right. It's another issue, though. Right. So there are record company there. Are, so if you are a new artist and you can get away with getting your stuff on Spotify and getting some exposure without having a separate record company contract, do it. Please do it because you will have cut out the middleman. Because at some point. If it's just this behemoth of Spotify and Apple Music getting rich off of artists, there's going to come a moment where it can't just be the two of them and it's going to have to come down. But at this, right, it's not 50 different record labels in the future. It could just be these two. And we're in the early stages of figuring out how that's going to play out. Well, essentially there's three now. Right. So, and two streaming services, because let's be clear, like, the Pandora thing isn't going to do shit. Title's not going to do shit. Well, Title still has Prince and Jay Z. I mean, I can't get Prince on Spotify. I tried to do it the other day. Yeah. I, I mean, me, me, anyway, he is a dick. But. Yeah, he is a dick. But well, true. <laughs> but uh, you know, to your point though about doing that as an independent artist, like do that. Be very aware though of what your market share is. Just because I mean, look, you have to be on streaming. You have to be on streaming because not just people like all of us in this room. That's how people are going to consume your music, whether you like it or not. And if you leave it off that, then you are basically saying, I don't want people to hear my music, period. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think, honestly, the Beatles, that was another thing that happened over yeah, the holiday. Right. The Beatles coming on to streaming settled that argument forever. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. So we won't be talking about that <laughs> on the podcast anymore. <laughs> but, um, you know, the idea that, that these are consolidating in one or two, yeah, I, th- I think that's dangerous. I think that's... Um, uh, if this suit somehow breaks that up. But at the same time, I don't want to subscribe as a consumer to 18 different services because I can only get prints here. I can only get right. Hall and Oates here. I can only get Mr. Mr. here. Right. I mean, that's 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 ridiculous. Is Mr. Mr. on title? Is that one of the artists? It is. It's an exclusive on title. Uh, is so, it really? <laughs> so uh, my best guess as a historian and an attorney is that this is an early... This lawsuit is an early volley in what will be a larger battle about how do artists get extract more money for what they've created from instead of these small to mid size or even big corporation middlemen to two or three mm-hmm. what be end up becoming behemoths and that's a very interesting tale that will get told. I have a feeling this early volley will end in not any major change, but there could yeah. be something that comes out of a piece of this that turns into something else. But yeah. but if it leads to more transparency about like Absolutely. I mean so we don't we don't know if Spotify is sitting on a gigantic pile of cash that is owed to artists or not. Mm-hmm. Presumably they're not and from what we know they're like barely profitable and still heavily right VC or uh, whatever funded but um, but if it brings more transparency to that and if it and if they are sitting on a pile of cash that needs to be dispersed and that goes to the artists and I think every person alive should be happy with that outcome, yep. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, and like I said, uh, Casey Ray will be on in a couple of weeks, hopefully, uh, to talk about this. Uh, the key word is blockchain. It's something I don't understand. Wow. Uh, but I'll, put, I'll post a link to it, but I, I've read the damn article like eight times. I sat through panels on it. I still don't understand it. Mm. Uh, but that is how this all gets solved. That's exciting. I'll so, be excited to hear that. Yeah. So, uh, you guys ready to talk about some music? Let's do it. All right.
That is uh name of that song is Lazarus. This is from uh, one David Bowie. His new album, uh, Black Star, which came out it's out on the eighth, is his actual birthday, uh, his sixty eighth birthday. That is, let me pull my notes up here. Uh, it's just going away, man. Um, this is what his twenty fifth album. Oof, yeah, twenty fifth studio album. Um. Parts of this have been used in a musical where uh, Michael Hall from like Six Feet Under is playing essentially Bowie, uh, that particular song. Uh, the album features uh, Mark Guyana, uh, Tim Lefebvre, <laughs> um, Jason <Basist>. Linder, <laughs> Don, Donnie McCaslin. Who uh, astute listeners of this podcast will remember from uh, the year end mad, episode that mad we just did. props to Eduardo, mm-hmm. dude. I did not know. I wish I had known that. I would have. Yep. I would have used if that. You at haven't the time. listened. Eduardo put the Donnie McCaslin album Fast Future. Am I getting yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On his ten best list of yep. uh, 2015, just, and all of a sudden Donnie McCaslin is the center of the indie universe. Looks like a baller move. In we hindsight. were the 23rd most popular <laughs> indie music blog. I think we're now. Maybe, it doesn't matter because <laughs> we say it, and they end up on Bowie's album. Uh, and Ben Monder on guitar. Uh, Tony Visconti, I think that's how you say his last name, yeah. is a longtime producer. Mm-hmm. He produced, like, what, like, Low? Like, T-Rex. T-Rex. Like, but, yeah. but specifically with Bowie, like, all the, the classics. Yep. Um, anytime an artist, uh, for me at least, gets into uh, this sort of legacy area of, of, of their career, it's like a Venn diagram. You know, you're over in, like, the, <laughs> the, the hip area, the legacy area. There, there is cause for concern. Um, there is no expectation. I, I think that uh, you can expect really, truly great work from them. Uh, more often than not, they try to look back and reclaim some of the past. I'll give you a recent example. Th- this is thanks to Apple Music. John Parr of uh, Man in Motion fame <laughs> putting out an album where he plays a nice, <laughs> sultry version of Man in Motion <laughs> that you can't get out of your fucking playlists on Apple Music. Um those all, all those people are not David Bowie. Um, and quite honestly, I don't know why I would have expected anything less from David Bowie. Uh, because what we have, I think, sitting here, I, I think we'll all agree, is, is basically a motherfucker of an album <laughs> that just... What, how? <laughs> well, but, but reality... 
Reality, which came out in 03, mm-hmm. is not very good. And The next day is not good. The next day and then I good. did not like the next day. A lot of people yeah. did. I thought it was kind of boring. Yeah. And I really tried really hard to right. like it. Well, yeah. There's a dark period of the, of the 2000s. I would put everything, including outside. I know a lot of people love that. Right. Yeah. But that was like that was him doing Nine Inch Nails. Right. Is that Earthling? No, Earthling was after that. Is that with I'm Afraid of Americans? That's on Earthling, right? That's, that's, I think outside, that's Earthling. No? no? I can't remember. Anyway, I like that one. Yeah. But. yeah. Um, but that was the year of the tour with Trent Reznor, I think. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, and but Bowie throughout his career has been a, a fascinating chameleon um, by appropriating stuff as quickly and sometimes at the same time as he is driving the culture. Uh, it, it, I mean, if you think about everything he's done, like – from you know, simple like folk stuff. Uh, he started off as a saxophone player. You know, you don't, you won't hear right. those records, but that's right. that's what he did. Um, you know, same as the Rolling Stones. You know, skiffle stuff. He was a folk singer. Yeah, he was a folk mm-hmm. singer, and then all of a sudden he's uh, you know Ziggy Stardust, and it, it, it's it's just been a fascinating watch. And then to land on this, um, uh, again, like I, I, how. How could we not have expected this? But how did how did we get here? Do do we still have to say spoiler alert if we're talking about the Force Awakens? No. Okay. No. Well, uh, not, it's not. made almost a billion dollars. Every, everybody's it seen it. Everybody, seen everybody, everybody who's going to see it and, and be angry wants, at you okay. has probably seen it. So I'm I'm calling this album the Reverse Kylo Ren, where <laughs> where where Radiohead is playing the role of Kylo Ren and David Bowie <laughs> is Han. And in this version of the movie, Han slaps the taste out of Ben's mouth <laughs> and does not get killed and instead shows the kid how things are done. I mean, that's really... Yeah. Are you saying you've heard the new Radiohead album? No, but <laughs> but here's the thing. Is like my, my first reaction to this was, this is what I wanted King of Limbs to be. Like, I, I, yeah. I, wrote, I, wrote, this, uh, I wrote a, like, scathing review of King of Limbs and it was based on the fact that just like none of this came together and I don't care what that band does but I need it to come together mm-hmm. and I need it not to sound like demos and that goes for any band but this is like exactly what I wanted from that and one of the songs we're going to play is the best example of that I think but more than that um, this is pulling f- f- like from all points of like Bowie's history like people like there's no surprise, actually. I think actually that it sounds like this, but how it got so distilled down into just the, it, it, just the good stuff. Every uh, I think every song on this album sounds like it could be part of the score, uh, it, for that scene in the movie where the party goes from being really fun to being like really <laughs> scary. <laughs> yeah, right? like everyone's yeah. having fun. Oh, and it's then, a like, scary people, album. Yeah, man. no, it's like it's it's and and, part of that's the sax. Yeah, yeah, it's it's and the I mean the production. There's this like muddled quality to it that sounds mm. both like futuristic and kind of retro at the same time. But but it has this very just consistent uh, mood throughout that manages to be dark in a way that um, like you know we're. Megadeth is coming out with an album this year, yeah. which may be covered on this podcast. Oh, it will be. And that's music that's designed to write metal is designed to be scary and to make you sort of cower in fear. <laughs> this this album will actually put you in a corner and you know and make you tremble this in fear a, in a way a, that metal. It's a nightmare. Won't. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a, if you've it's, seen the video, the, the song we just played was Lazarus. But if you've seen the video for that, that's a nightmare. 
That's a that's a vicious, like awful fucking nightmare. I need to see. I haven't seen um, it. But it is, you know, and there's a lot of this album tied up in mortality. You know, as we said, David Bowie is 68 years old. He's not going to live forever. We just lost Lemmy. Sorry, that's the other. That, that's actually the biggest thing news item that happened while we were gone. Uh, there's no more Lemmy on this earth. There may, I mean, I don't think that bodes well for Keith Richards. <laughs> well, it it popped the bubble. It, it was like we all are like these people are immune. And like, oh fuck, no, he's gone. What's the last time like someone this age put out an album that was this like kind of forward thinking? And and I'm even trying to think among his contemporaries, like you know, Tom, Tom Waits is roughly the, yeah. So like you know, Dylan is not a forward looking artist right. at this point. I don't think. I but mean, I think time out of mind, I yeah yeah yeah. I I would sort of equate that right career wise. This Patrick, that's your beat. <laughs> We're looking at you. Uh, I don't think you want to get in Dylan with me. I think. Before uh, before the one that came out uh, that had the two kids in the car in the back seat. So he, oh the, yeah, the, the the one named after love, uh, not love and theft. No, uh, love and theft is I think brilliant, and the one after that I think is brilliant. But then it kind of goes downhill. But yeah. yeah, but I don't think there are as much of a reinvention as this. Well, sonically, and, 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 but I don't think this is a reinvention. I don't think it's a reinvention. And at first, I was when I first heard uh, the the title track, I thought, "Wow, this is trippy out there, great." He's doing it's something weird. The, and I really like it. The more that I have listened to this album, the more. And I I went back and made myself listen to. I kept thinking about Station to Station, mm-hmm. which is an album I really like. As I was listening to this for some reason, and obviously that swings a lot more than this does. Right. Um, Black tie, white noise. Right. Uh, yeah. TVC 15 or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that song. But um, there's something about this that actually still sounds like David Bowie. Mm-hmm. When you, it's, and it's kind of a grower. Like it was a grower for me. It took about four or five listens before I felt comfortable thinking, you know, making up my mind about certain songs. But I grew to like it quite a bit. And I must say that now I'm not, I'm convinced it's not actually that out there. Like oh, I've, I, I've read, yeah. I've read some reviews. You're like, whoa, this is a really crazy no, out there thing. I don't think it's that weird for him. Yeah, I think if you put this alongside a lot of his other work, is things like low mm-hmm. that are, you know, low is starts with yeah. this like stretch of three or four of the best, shiniest, poppiest, you know, most fun things he's ever done, and then it goes into that <laughs> weird German. Right. Post World War Two, crazy like mourning period on side two that you're like, okay, yeah. well that's a different thing. So <laughs> I, I think that this isn't that experimental experimental for Bowie, but that's almost like saying life isn't that weird if you've lived a while. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is. It, it isn't that experimental. Um, and again, what what I think it is is just focused. And look, the guy, in and of himself, is an empire. You know, he there, there is no person like David Bowie on the planet. None. Not none that we'll know in our lifetime. There's a, whatever is going on up there, and and around him, like that, that's unique to him. Um, and you're always going to be able to pick out these really special moments out of everything he does. I mean, even the albums I don't like, I'm like, okay, I get that. There's a swagger to him, um, which actually is a good segue into the song I want to play. Um, I'm not a big guy for lyrics. The music hits me first. 
Um, I do pay attention to the lyrics, but uh, uh, this particular song, um, the first words of the song just reach out, and I'm like, man, that's fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then I was like, you know what? That's cool, because that's fucking David Bowie. And nobody else could do something like that. So uh, let's hear a little bit of uh, Tis a Pity She Was a Whore. How about that?
Right, so those guttural sounds <laughs> that he starts to make towards the end of that, I mean, that, that is that's a visceral, just piece of songwriting thing, man. I, I, I actually think that this, this song, and especially like the first minute of it, are just a great illustration of where the music on this album just kind of keeps you guessing and surprises mm-hmm. you. So, so when you first hear the drums, you think, okay, this is going to be an upbeat sort of peppy song. And then when that, when the synth kicks in, when the chord kicks in, you think, okay, that's a, that's a nice sort of like, and you're expecting it to resolve. Expecting the let's dance. Right. And then, and then, the, and then the sax and the piano start to kind of nudge that like offbeat, like repetitive, yeah. Yeah. dissonant thing. And then, and that undercurrent just stays there the whole time mm-hmm. while the, the initial synth chord like never resolves. And it's just this very like disquieting, you know, the center of the song kind of shifts away from you in that first minute before he comes on. It's I just realized this. What that drum beat reminds me of is uh, "Daddy's Gonna Pay for Your Crash Car" of uh, U2's Europa. Yeah, which yeah, is, actually is the uh, is honestly the only good latter day uh, U2 album. Uh, it's fantastic if you haven't heard it. Don't be afraid. It doesn't download <laughs> automatically to your phone. I'm not gonna get into it, but I'm not sure I agree with that last statement. <laughs> Okay. I was listening to the new Yay Sayer single today, and I had this thought that eventually all bands just become U2. So maybe that's... Of course, <laughs> yes. Um, although their new album, they said, uh, was going to sound more like Zeropa. Zeropa. Oh. So, good. you know, full well. circle or something. <laughs> but we're getting off topic. We're talking about Bowie. Um, yeah, it, it, it it's that off-kilter, and that, that is off-kilter for the entire album. Yeah. And it works. Mm-hmm. And it, it's weird because it shouldn't work. What What you should... Uh, most people like expect you look, listen to something and be just objectively like pleased by it. Um, but when people like him can make something that y- you are pleased by it, but it's because you had an experience with it. Mm-hmm. I I think um, to just to um, go back for a second to that that point about like so so how you know is this unexpected for Bowie? Not particularly, but I think when you put it in the context of like, um, so, you know, Tom Waits, I think is 1947. Mm-hmm. So about the same age, uh, he's still making music that's not designed to make you feel okay, but he's not necessarily right. breaking new ground for Tom Waits. Um, in the way that I think this album does for agree, Bowie again, agree, it's, I'm it's, a big Waits head. Now, so, so, right? when, so when, so when does, and, and why is Bowie able to do this, but Tom Waits can't, cause that was the other comp that I thought like the, the qualities of his voice, uh, match in in some way the qualities of what Waits has come to, where it's it's so distinctly him, right? And that he can't do anything but I mean, all the all the work is done with the band, and then Bowie just being so comfortable with like I am just this. Well, I think I think part of that is that um, Bowie is better at um, he's 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 possibly only second to Dylan in his ability to like self mythologize. Yeah. And I don't know that, I don't know that Waits is, can quite do that in the same way, but, but Dylan and Bowie, even though they're radically different mm-hmm. uh, sonically that, you know, when you hear a song of theirs, it's not, it's never just a song anymore. Right. It's a commentary right. on a commentary on their lives or something. It's, it's uh so I think another way to think about that is, Dylan Waits, Bowie, similar. And I was thinking about Dylan and the way that you said that. Uh, like when I see him now, he can't r- really sing, but I enjoy it because the band is killer. Yeah. And he just 
he's headstrong enough to know that he can surround himself with great headstrong musicians and still boss them around because he knows that what he has to do, even in terms of phrasing, is more is is why people have, are paying money for the show, which yeah. sounds like a really reductivist um, way to think about it. But I think Bowie saw this, you know, this quartet or are they a quartet or um, yeah, they are. They are. He saw, he when, saw them. Okay. Yeah. This is how I want to sound. I've got yeah. some ideas for this. I can collaborate with him. And he's obviously, he's obviously had some great collaborations over time, Eno and yeah. Yeah. Uh, Iggy and, and all that Ray stuff. Vaughan. Right. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. So right. like he can have the confidence and, you know, uh, enough trust in himself to know that his vision will out, but it will be shaped and, um, affected by some great musicians that he can trust to play along. Yeah, it, it's um, it's funny too because he said he said uh, going into this there was a lot of talk how he was inspired by Tupac Butterfly, right? Mm-hmm. And that influence is so obvious and so prevalent here. Well, but the, the sax just just and the way sax. it plays out is really just the sax. Yeah. But I mean that that. Kamasi Washington sax played such the very same role on the Pimp and Butterfly, mm-hmm. and we were all wondering like, how is this? How is that album going to affect music? Fucking, it, I'll tell you, it, it, David Bowie. Yeah, like, I, I remember you guys on that episode talking about you know the idea of like Kanye just sitting in a room somewhere listening to the album and being pissed off and wanting to like it, yeah. yeah. And I and and at no point during that conversation, um, I'm sure did you guys think or did I think while I was listening to you guys talking about it that. David Bowie was somewhere licking his chops, my, hearing that album. My <laughs> my belief was that it was going to be Chance the Rapper, it was going to be the Surf album. Yeah, right, that right. That's what was going to be like. Whoa, shit! What do we do? And then uh, turned out to be something completely different yet similar and wonderful. Uh, but yeah, Bowie was the last. There, what, <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> like, oh, maybe there'll be some uh, better like hip hop bands like they're doing stuff <laughs> like this and. That. I feel like Arlo Guthrie is going to have like <laughs> yeah. his version yeah, of yeah, a yeah, butterfly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, he's got an answer now. Yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, this is this is a uh, a deep, deep. Uh, you know, this is the first podcast of the year. Uh, I think to properly assess this album, you need to spend a lot of time with it. Yeah. We spent about what like a week, right? It, it takes a number of listens. Yeah, I, I will say part of my notes are that Lazarus and Blackstar for me, landed first. Mm-hmm. Tis Pity and uh, Girl... What's the one girl? Girl Loves Me. Girl Loves Me were probably the next two. And there's still two songs in the album I haven't fully decided that I like. But, uh, uh, you know, five out of seven at this point, I'm pretty much on board with. And it yeah. took a while. Yeah. And, and like the, the dollar days and the I Can't Give Everything Away and how that right. just sort of fades out. It's like... I think I Can't Give Everything Away is incredible. It's, it is incredible. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> like I, t- yeah. I didn't realize it till like a few hours ago, but I was like, wait right. a minute. What? Where's that? Yeah. It's no, it's 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 like it's it 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 uh, approaches like wild as the wind or something like that. Like yeah. it's it's like it's yeah. up there in the Bowie canon, I think instantly. So, uh, what do you guys think we should advise our loyal listeners to do with this, Eduardo? I'm I'm going to. Uh, so what I'm the thing I'm not going to buy is the Barnes and Noble special clear vinyl edition of Ooh. this album. Ooh. Yeah, there's clear vinyl. Yeah, there's Sorry. a. <laughs> yeah, so so there was a there was a, a run of five thousand from the Bowie <laughs> store that sold out very quickly, and now you can only buy the clear vinyl from Barnes and Noble. I will not be purchasing that, but I will be buying the fuck out of this album. Okay, so Patrick. Yeah, I thought I was going to say stream hard stream, but I think I'm I think I'm in a a buy yep. situation. I'm not sure how that's going to manifest itself. 
It's but okay. there will be a point where I buy. I, but you know what? I will I will add, I own a decent amount of vinyl. I don't own any Bowie on vinyl because I always go to the record store and I'm like, so, so get why this, isn't there any right. clean Bowie here? Get this and low because I listen to them back to back. Oh, and it's, low it, is just and it's a fucking favorite. fantastic oh, experience. Low is, yeah. uh, I am going to uh, echo your sentiment. I am going to buy the living fuck out of this album. <laughs> uh, that... This Wait, is, is the f- this going to be in your top ten since it's January seventh? <laughs> so here's the thing, and, and I, I was just about to say something about that. That's really awkward to say something like that, but the the way this hits and and the way this is good, like I look, look Gauntlet's been thrown twenty sixteen, yeah, right, like right, y'all got to step if you're thinking about making an album in in this sort of territory now, like there it is. David Bowie just fucking did it, so you got to step up. So yeah, probably, because I mean, you know, in in a in a cage match with anybody versus versus Bowie, who's gonna win? Bowie. Yeah that that doesn't seem that doesn't seem hyperbolic to me actually. Like I, no. th- I think this is an album that we should all like. Um, and even if, if you go like half the year without listening to it, like you'll revisit it sometime around November, and you'll think, holy shit, that really is. I think it's uh, like a really, uh, in the way that sometimes I haven't heard a Beck album in a while and it'll come on and I'll go, wait a minute, this is still really good. Yeah. And I think it's going to be one of those. You didn't know you're not allowed to listen to Beck after you turn 30? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard and fast rule. I that was after I went to sleep after that last album, but never mind. All right, so uh, David Bowie, Black Star, first album of the year, Triple Buy It. As we do at the end of every podcast, uh, at least last year, I don't know if we're going to switch this up. Uh, for right now, we're not. There are some changes coming. There are a few changes coming. Basically, the rate at which we do these things is going to is going to pick up. Uh, but we're not getting into that because everybody is just coming off a break. Everybody's <laughs> fat and happy and just be like, I don't want to do anything. <laughs> or seeing Hateful Eight. Boo. Um, uh, so we're going to start off this year with... Uh, a band who's actually uh, some friends of mine, uh, my, dar- my Darling Fury out of Richmond, Virginia. Um, they were a quartet. Now they are a trio. I had it up by uh, Danny Reyes, uh, and who is probably the second coming of Freddie Mercury. Uh, and uh, friend Todd, who is, is the bass player, and he just makes all this shit happen. Uh, they have a very unique sound. Uh, they're moving towards a pop direction. If you've listened to any other stuff, uh, it is, if you know me, music that would not be in my wheelhouse, but yet I find it uh, captivating. So, um, nepotism be damned. <laughs> We're going to play uh, 
a song called Satisfied that My Darling Fury just put out. So here you go. This is My Darling Fury, Satisfied. It's up the up- upcoming album, A-OK. They say the grass is greener. They say the grass is greener on the other side. The trees are tall, bees don't sting at all, and it's just over the other side. My darling Fury, uh, satisfied. Uh, uh, Todd, I told you this over email last night. You guys killed it on that. That's the first time you guys have heard that, correct? First time you guys have heard the band, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A plus, digging it. Yeah, A plus. Yeah, yeah. Love the voice. Love the uh, uh, timpani breakdown in the middle there. That was really nice. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. towards the end. So uh, expect to hear more from them. Hopefully, uh, they'll be playing some shows up here in DC. Uh, hopefully, you swing them by here. I haven't talked to them in a while. Yeah, so, uh, that is our first podcast of the year, gentlemen. Uh, we have 
by my estimation, probably 107 more. (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. But it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a a long road. But at the end of the day, uh, coming up, we've got all kinds of albums. You mentioned Megadeth. Uh, We got Benji Hughes. I've been listening Mm. to uh, Eleanor Friedberger. We got Besnard Lakes. Uh, We got Phil Cook. Hopefully, like having he's in town uh, soon. Yes. Um, that's going to be there. Uh, a bunch of other great interviews. Uh, it should be a. You're going to interview Eleanor Friedberg, or are you saying maybe? Oh, never mind. I was just asking. Maybe um, I like her. Yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, thank you for tuning in. Uh, as always, be good to yours. Be better to your people. We will talk to you in a few short days. <laughs> 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 Kenobi!